Welcome into the Faithful Pursuit Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Madden, and with me today is Jeff Mathis. He is the pastor or the young adults pastor of Unity Church in Gadsden, Alabama. He is also a very good friend of mine. Um, before we get into Jeff's introduction, I want to remind you at Faithful Pursuit, we are relentlessly pursuing a life of faith that transforms outside of the church walls. Uh, we have Facebook and YouTube and obviously podcast everywhere. So this is Jeff Mathis. If you want to take a minute, introduce yourself, tell them, tell the people about you. Yeah. Um, like Eric said, I'm the young adults pastor at Unity Church in Gadsden. We're a new church startup. Uh, we're just entering our second full year. Um, but man, we're already seeing God just do some amazing things in the lives of people. And we're excited about what he is doing with us, man. I can't, Eric, I can't tell you thank you enough, man. It's been so great uh, reconnecting here lately and uh, can't wait to see what God does through all of this. Yeah, man, it, it, it has been a, a hot minute, which you, you can't even preach for me. But before yeah. that, it had been a hot minute. Yeah, it had been. At least 18 years, but... Look at God. Right at it. It was, I believe it was 16. 16, 16 years. Well, it felt longer. Yeah. <laughs> I missed my brother. Definitely, definitely, man. Oh, man. It's, it's just crazy how life happened and we ended up in the roles that we did. And no, because you knew me before my, before Christ days. So it's just crazy. Definitely. Uh, change of lifestyle, but man, through it all, just the grace and mercy has been, it's been fabulous to see. Oh yeah. <laughs> I know where I would be without that grace and thank God that he extends it to us. Correct. Correct. So today we're going to be talking about something that has gotten popular over the past, say eight to 10 years. Um, that is, People leaving the church, deconstructing from their faith, and just basically not wanting to have anything to do with the church. Um, I have some stats. I want to put it in the show notes. Here's the – I'm going to talk from a millennial perspective because that's what I am. 39% um, of millennials report going to church weekly, which is up 21% from 2019. And 40% are unaffiliated with any religion or, or denomination. And the fastest growing churches out there are the Pentecostal and the charismatic churches, which is good news for, for me. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like it's, we have seen a mass exodus uh, of people leaving the church since 2016, 2019. And if we're going to help people return back to the church, we first have to kind of understand what's driving them away to begin with. Right. Everything now is over political. Like it is so political in, in the church realm today. There's a lot of church scandals, a lot of church hurt, a lot of abuse, a lot of neglect, and a lot of aborting our young as, as baby infant Christians before they can even walk. So what do you see the, the issue is and what's, what's making people kind of distance themselves from, from the faith and, and from church? Man, you uh, you said a lot to start there. Um, first off, church hurt is one of the worst problems in the church today. Mm -hmm. um, and that stems from, it stems from egos in a lot of places where people feel like positions and titles are what allows them to mistreat people and take advantage mm -hmm. of people. And, um, you know, this, this generation that we're dealing with, they're not going to stand for that. 
Uh, you know as well as I do. Uh, I got I got you in a few years, um, but I will say even with my generation that uh, it's just a generation that does things different than the way it was done before. It's not that we don't believe the Bible. We don't believe the gospel. It's not that we don't want Jesus. It's just that we're not going to stand for the controlling thumb that some <laughs> pastors try to yeah. keep on their church. And it's caused a lot of people to walk away from the church. You know that as well as I do. Um, mm-hmm. Had conversations just this week where um, people were just taken advantage of and misused and mistreated. And it's just caused them to have a, a bad taste in their mouth about mm-hmm. what the church is. And it all comes back to how we treat our people. We, we've been called to shepherd people as pastors and we have to shepherd people correctly. You yeah. can't go around whipping people all the time and expect them to love you. It just doesn't right. work like that. Uh, um, like you brought up titles and stuff. Um, I think a lot of these, these church leaders today have made their title into their identity. Right. And if you start to attack their identity, th- they start to get defensive. And then if you operate in a fence long enough, uh, you, you tend to become bitter. Uh, you will become uh, abusive. And we see that. And, and it always starts out small, like little wisecracks, uh, little bitty jokes. And then eventually that just turns into straight up bullying and demeaning people and it's, it's crazy the the Jesus we claim to represent isn't getting representation how he should in the church in, in 2024. That's correct. Uh, um, I, I believe we've lost sight of who Jesus is. I think we've got so wrapped up in a Western view of Jesus. Right. Uh, if we took a, a real transparent look at, at Scripture versus how we do church in the West, we would see a vast difference. Like we would see everything we're doing is actually contradictory to what Jesus is telling us to do in scripture. And, you know, like like the book of James is a really good example of this where he says, Hey, I don't need you to show favoritism just because someone is rich or they look really good. Don't set them on the front because they're going to look good on camera. In a modern sense, like don't put the the good looking ones or the ones who tied the most in the front row because they're going to look good on camera and give you a little amen corner. Honestly, like with with the millennial generation and even like some research that I've seen from Gen Z, the number one thing that they're looking for is authentic Christianity. Like they're screaming from the loop from the rooftops, just be who you claim to be. That's all we're asking for. Claim if you're going to claim to be a Christian, represent the faith well and represent it right. Be above reproach. Um, practice what you preach. Uh, love. Show compassion. So show empathy. Show forgiveness. Show kindness. Show the fruit of the spirit that you claim you have. And. We, we have to, like as, as church leaders, I think we need to take this opportunity of, okay, we see the issue. We, we see the mass exodus. So to get them back, I think that we're going to have to make space for, for them and, and, for, and for that to happen. And where do we want you know, young people to come with, with their questions, with, with their passions and, and with their burdens, if not the church, because we should be the safest place for that. And if we are opening up those, those spaces, we're going to kind of have to be prepared while growing, losing people at the same time. But the ones that we lose are going to be the ones who have the wrong, um, the wrong mindset and, and the wrong way of going about ministry to begin with, in my opinion. What's your view on that? Um, I will say at Unity, one of the things that we have 
we've really just grabbed hold of um, is trying to embrace the old and the new. And one of the ways that we do that is in praise and worship. Um, a lot of times you'll hear us do an old hymn mm-hmm. and turn around and do a praise and worship song. Yeah. There, there's a lot of wisdom and power in the old hymns. I know grabbing a hymnal and singing out of it is not what we're used to anymore. We're not in that right. place in church. Yeah, I don't have red books. We should abandon right everything from the old ways. Yeah. We shouldn't throw everything out. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to show my Southern roots for a minute because my grandmama used to say, don't throw the baby out with bathwater. Oh, we can that. change things mm-hmm. without getting rid of everything. Um, it's kind of one of those relevant church type moments. We're, yeah. we're not trying to get rid of the gospel. We're not trying to change the gospel because the gospel is still the gospel. Jesus came. Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus died. He was resurrected. He was ascended into heaven. He did all of that for me and you. I'm not trying to change that. I'm simply trying to change the way we present it. I'm trying to make it a little bit more relevant for the people that are coming up in today's church age. Um, You were talking about a statistic when we started out. Um, We just talked um, about a week or two ago in church, and one of the statistics we had talked about in our service was that uh, several years ago, the Southern Baptist Convention and a few other denominational conventions did a survey. And what they found was that kids coming up in the church have already left the church by the age of 19. Yeah. I think I've seen that. We're losing entire generations. Yeah. As soon as they're 18, they're out. They're like, peace. I've seen enough. And I, I think the reason for that is we're not connecting with them. We're losing them. Mm-hmm. There's a transition issue from children's church in teens and 20s and in being a part of the adult church. We've lost the transition phase. Um, I think that got lost when parents started viewing church as a babysitting service rather than a place to get equipped. And this is my view when it comes to like kids and youth and and things like that. It is not my job to disciple your kid. It is your job to disciple your kid. It is my job to nourish what you're teaching them. So if the parent isn't plugged into the church, if the parent isn't being discipled, if the parent isn't if, is not living out the faith biblically in in the right way, there's a disconnect. Right. You've got. We've got to also think of this because the generation before mine really wasn't involved in church. Oh no! Yeah, the Gen what Gen X. Yeah, I, I'm 40 years old. Um, I grew up in church. Yeah, I, I saw the look. <laughs> I grew up in church, but I grew up in church because I had a grandmother who mm-hmm. made it a point to carry me to church. Yeah. Um, not that my mom and my dad didn't believe Jesus, didn't believe in salvation. They did. But church was just not something we did as a family. Um my church connection, like I said, comes from comes from a grandmother who made it a point to show so, me church. Yeah. I'm right there with you. Um, I mean, I'm 35, so I'm not that much younger than you. But I mean, you know, you know me. I grew up with a pastor as a granddad. Yeah. So I was in church. I, I was there. If the doors were open, I was there. And. That was one of the things, like, once I got to, like, 12, 13, I was like, I've been here my whole life. I feel like I was born here, and I live here. I'm over it. I don't want to come anymore. And then I, I'd hit those those seasons where I was like, okay, I need God again. And I, I think where, as, as you were talking, I, I kind of noticed a pattern. Gen X didn't want to go to church. For what reason? I don't know. Uh, they have their, their reasons. Millennials, we go to church. 
So you have boomers who, who go to church, Gen X who doesn't go to church, millennials go to church, Gen Z doesn't go to church. But Gen Z isn't going to church because of the over-politicalization, over non-authentic Christianity. Because like, like they've been there, and, and I've been in, in that situation too. I did it about three or four years ago to where... I don't want to say I deconstructed, but I took a real hard look at my faith. Then I started studying the word, not at not as a pastor, not as a believer, but I started I started to study the word as a skeptic. But I had an end goal in mind of this is going to bring me closer to the true gospel. This is going to bring me back to the true uh, method and, and blueprint of the church. And ultimately, it, it took a little bit, but as reading it like that, that's exactly what it did. Because I started seeing, like, okay, I grew up with this tradition, this tradition, this preference, that preference. And I was like, none of this is biblical. So I just threw it out. And, and then I just replaced it back with, with, like, grounded doctrine, grounded theology, grounded tradition. And I see like the deconstruction movement, it's when it first started, I think it was good and I think it was healthy. But now I think it's become toxic and I think it's become becoming a road to apostasy because they are deconstructing without scripture and without an end goal and without a mentor to guide them in it. And all they're left with is more questions and more doubts than, than they started with. And as church, like our goal cannot be to fix behavior because we can't fix behavior. That's a God thing. We have to be willing to trust the Holy Spirit to bring conviction where it's needed. And if we do that, we will sure enough see in a short time people coming back to the faith. Instead of playing judge, jury, and executioner over people, just welcome them in and love them. You know, um, it's interesting that you... You said that because I uh, was having a conversation earlier with some other pastors. I mentioned this to you before we went and started recording that um, about this topic of people just leaving the church. Why are they leaving? And that's one of the things we all started talking about. People are leaving the church because for too long as the church, we've tried to fix people. Mm -hmm. And we're driving people away. Yeah, we'll look That's at them like you have a month to change, and if you don't change within a month, you're out. Or we'll look at somebody and they'll come in and they'll they'll get into church and then we'll they'll say, "Hey, I want to be on the praise and worship team." Oh man, uh -uh, we can't do that. I'm, we've seen the way you're living outside the church, yeah. so we're gonna stop that. And we're gonna cut all that out, and we have to have values, yes, as the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. But we also have to be able to love people through everything they're going through. My ultimate goal is to show you Jesus. Yeah. I'm not here, like you said, to try to fix you or try to correct you. I'm here to show you Jesus. Mm -hmm. Jesus will do everything else. Holy Spirit will do everything else that I that needs to be done. All I need to do is love you and show you Jesus. How do I love you and show you Jesus? I live my life out before you. Yeah. And are we going to get it right 100% of the time? Absolutely not. No. Like, yeah, we died to the flesh, but the flesh did not die to us. Like, there, there's still a battle going on. Like, we're not perfect. Um, we have to stop claiming to be perfect. And as the church, I see a, a great disconnect when we start to... Not, not just in the judge, jury, executioner aspect, but I, I see a great disconnect when we begin to make secondary things primary things. Right. Um, we start to make how people dress a, a, a salvation issue, and it's not. Uh, people who, if you believe in tongues or you don't believe in tongues, that's a salvation issue. It's not. Um, people out in the world are just like, why would I want to join this thing when there is so much division and so much infighting and, and so much 
red tape and who who gives and who serves and who has the most pull like why would i want to join there's more chaos in the church because of man than there is outside here in the world correct and we wonder like well why don't they want anything to do with this it's because of us it, you're right it's the church itself um it's nobody else it's it's the church we we've got to figure this thing out first and foremost we're sitting here talking about the church but we have to understand something. That's the way Jesus meant it was for the church. But mm -hmm. what we've made it is the Baptist church, the Pentecostal church, the Assemblies of God church, the Catholic church, and the Methodist church. And if you don't go to the church that has my name before church, I can't be friends with you because you're in a different type of church. We're just the church. I, I don't care what denomination you fall under. If you believe Jesus, you're still a part of the church. Mm -hmm. I, I just did a Google search. There are 33,089 different Christian denominations. Why? <laughs> and I guarantee you, I don't know where anybody else may be, but I guarantee if you went to Google right now and asked Google how many churches were in your area in a 10-mile radius, there would probably be 50 to 100. Oh, yeah. Like I know in Gunnersville, at least within, I'd say within like the, the, the city limits, there are over 50 churches. And there's like four different kinds of Baptist, two different types of Methodist. I don't know how many types of Pentecostal. So many independents that it's not even funny. Like there is just so much division within the body when if if these leaders would just read First Corinthians chapter one where it says, Hey, I don't need any division in the body. But again, I, I kind of get and understand why there are so much or so many. Because when we when we take a hard look at it, like if there was just one church, how would you be able to serve and how would you be able to use your gifts? No, I under I completely understand the reasoning, um, mm -hmm. because let's face it, not everybody is going to worship the way that I worship. Yeah, I'm not going to worship the way everybody else worships. So that is making a relevancy point to reach people the way we need to reach them. My point is. It doesn't matter what the denomination is. We've got to learn how to come together as one body. Oh yeah. Um, if that's my view on it, like I, I've tried to work with other churches and like, like do event or whatever. And it, it, everyone that I've talked to, it pretty much boils down to, I don't want you to steal my sheep. And I'm like, I don't want your stinking sheep. I want to work together to reach the city. If your sheep are biting you, they're definitely going to bite me. I don't want that. I just want to reach the city for Jesus. If they come to your church or my church, I don't care. Ultimately, I'm here just to build the kingdom of God. Right. If we could real, if if the church would realize that these secondary issues do not matter, like speaking in tongues does not matter. It's not a salvation issue. Like there's so much that we will divide, and I've seen individual churches divide on these secondary issues. I've seen churches divide on carpet color and wall color. Like I, I've seen churches split up for these stupidest reasons, and, and you got the world looking inside, and they're like, I don't want anything to do with that. If I get in that, then I'm just going to be stuck in the middle of a religious civil war, and I want nothing to do with it. Because I'm just looking for hope. I'm looking for peace. I'm looking for love. I'm looking for acceptance. I'm, I'm looking at the one place that I should find every bit of this and I'm finding none of it. You know, there uh, there was an old hymn that said, come as you are. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, in today's church, we want you to come as perfect as you are. Yeah. Or come as you are so we can change you into what we want you to be. Yeah. We've got to get back to accepting people where they're at 
mm-hmm. and allowing God to do what God, only God can do. Only God can do it. And the easiest way to do that, and it's going to be hard for a lot of people, the only way that we're going to accomplish that is through relationship. Only through relationship can we reconnect the deed church to the heart and the body of Christ. But there's a, a hard, a lot of people have a hard time building relationships with people because we live in, in a society now where everything is on a screen. For us to be so connected as a society, we've never been more disconnected. Like I look and I, and I notice people can't carry on a face-to-face conversation anymore. Because their faces are buried in their screens. And is technology good? Does technology have some great aspects to it? Yes, but it is slowly killing the the conversation. It's slowly killing the relationship. Whether that be a marriage, whether it be a friendship, whether it be a church, it is slowly killing the relationship because we forgot how to communicate with each other outside of a keyboard. And it's sad. And like, like you know, we, we've talked about the stats. We, we've talked about the, the division in the church and the infighting in the church. Um, this topic is something that is not comfortable to talk about whatsoever, but it has to be talked about. And it, it's the abuse in the church. Um, yeah, I can't tell you how many articles or or. Facebook posts that I've seen were a pastor arrested for molesting this kid or this pastor had an affair or this pastor did that. The abuse is happening in the church and we can't just say, well, we just got to show the grace and, and the mercy of God. No, we need to hold them accountable. That's something else that is severely lacking in in the body today is accountability because they think I'm the pastor, I'm the boss. You answer to me, I answer to nobody. That's not a church, that's a dictatorship with a cross. That is is so right on. Uh, I don't care who we are, what position we sit in, we are accountable for what we say and what we do. Mm-hmm. At all times. Yeah. Uh, I don't care if you're the lead pastor, the associate pastor, the youth pastor, the children's pastor, the usher, the deacon, the praise and worship leader, whoever you are. I don't care if you do nothing more than show up and sit in a pew. Mm-hmm. You're accountable to someone. Actions matter. And we can't continue to push things behind the door. And try to close it away and act like it's not there. We've got to address it. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, it's and it's a headline every week. A different yeah. pastor that is being set down because they've had an affair or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. We've got to be accountable to each other. Yeah. Because once again, who wants to come in to our mess when they've got their own mess to deal with. Right. And I mean, accountability, it's, if I had one word to sum every bit of this up, like every problem within the church, this is probably going to sound corny and it's going to sound like Christianese. You could solve every bit of this with just real authentic discipleship. Yes. Because discipleship teaches you accountability. It teaches you compassion. It teaches you how to deal with, with questions and doubts and storms and, and relationships. At least it's supposed to. We're, we view discipleship as, hey, come take this six-week class and congratulations at the end of it. You're now a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm sorry. That is not the model of discipleship that Jesus did. He did life with people. For at least, well, I mean, he only did his ministry for three years, but for three years, he was daily pouring into these people. 
walking with them, talking with them, sharing with them, rejoicing with them. Like discipleship is a relationship. But again, we lack the the mindset now of, of relationship. But here's the thing with the discipleship. To be able to effectively disciple someone, two things have got to happen. One, you got to be able to meet people where they're at. Mm -hmm. I don't care how dirty they are. I don't care how bad they smell. I don't care what they do. I don't care how they act. You've got to be willing to meet them where they're at. You can't expect them to show up perfect. You're going to have to get them good. The next part of that is this. You've got to be willing to be open and vulnerable around people. Say that again. People for the do man not to come in and see somebody that puts a show on. Say that again for the men in the back. Um, I can tell you right now, in my walk, I do not want somebody that puts on a show of they never have an issue, they never have problems. I've been there. I've done that. I've got the church hurt cards to prove it. It doesn't mm -hmm. work. If you're a pastor and that's how you think you should address life is to put on the best show you can and never let see, people see the hurt that you go through and the pain that you go through and everything that you have to face that doesn't look good on Facebook and on social media and it doesn't make for good presentations, people do not want that. They don't want to come to you and leave feeling like they're inadequate. Yep. So if I'm going to effectively disciple people, they get to see the 100%, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm -hmm. It's not always clean. Guess what? I'm going to openly say it. As a pastor, I struggle with mental issues. You're going to see that when you come around me. There's going yeah. to be days that I'm going to look at you and tell you, it's a rough day for me right now. Love me and I'm going to love you. Yep. You've got to be willing to be vulnerable to people. Mm -hmm. And Does it mean that Jesus is not good because I still have these things to deal with? No. He is still faithful. He is still good. And believe me, on my worst days, I'm so grateful that he is in my life. Because I don't care how big the struggle is. I know I've still got him there. And I want everybody that comes around me to see that. I look at, uh, I'm, I'm right there where you are, like with the mental health issues. I've got depression. I've got anxiety. I've got all that. And I'm pretty open about it. I don't hide it. And, and I'll tell people, like, hey, today's just not the day. Like, I'm still here for you, but today's just, just not the day. Um, and I've noticed, and, and maybe this has told me more about the individual than, than it has situation but I, i've realized the more that i'm vocal about the fact that yes i'm a pastor yes i stumble yes i fail you screamed and hollered at your kids today me too you got in an argument with your wife today me too you you were so depressed that you didn't see a way out and you don't know if you're gonna live to see tomorrow me too and, and, you, and you see examples of that throughout scripture I don't know where the, these guys are and girls are getting their their view of leadership of I have to be this pristine idol of perfection when all throughout Scripture, every example that we have of the disciples and the apostles and the prophets, all with the exception of Jesus, were messed up, broken people who reached people because they met them where they were. Even Jesus met people where they were. The woman at the well, hey, go get your husband. I don't have a husband. Yeah, I know. You've had five. And the dude you got right now, you just, you're just shacking up with him. Go get him too. I, I don't care about your current situation because I'm about to change everything. Right. Here's like the our, thing. Our, our current situation does not dictate, dictate the will and the work of God. Right. And here's the thing. If we show them that genuineness, then what's going to end up happening is as they see Jesus and they draw closer to Jesus, 
The same thing that happened to the woman at the well, the same thing that happened to me, the same thing that happened to you is going to happen for them. Because eventually we're going to get to a place where we don't want the things that we was used to anymore because mm -hmm. we found that the thing before us is better for us. Yeah. When I showed uh, back uh, up to church, I didn't come in perfect. I had a drinking issue. I'm just going to be honest with you. I showed up to church with a drinking issue, was in church for months with a drinking issue. Yeah. This is going to sound really but bad. I Jesus. With, a, with a drinking issue. Like I was playing church in ministry for a couple of years before I finally was just like, God, I can't fake it anymore. I need the real thing. And you would be surprised because you encounter Jesus. are actually doing that. But yeah, you're right. encounter Jesus, things change. Yeah, I had encountered man-made religion. So I was faking it to make it. It wasn't until I finally hit rock bottom where Jesus was like, are you ready for me to take the reins now? Because obviously you can't drive. And when I finally submitted in, in willful obedience and actually accepted that grace and that mercy and that love, my life, I my life is radically different. Would I change anything that I've went through or anything that I've done? No. Do I have regrets? Yes. But ultimately, it has made me who I am. Like I had to go through a little bit of hell so I knew how to get people out of it. We, we can't be ashamed of where we came from and we can't forget our testimony when those, those times of testing and the, the seasons of we don't feel God. We don't see God, but he's still there. That's what's going to snatch people out of the flames. And we have to remember that ultimately God is in control. And if we want to stop the abuse in the church, whether it be you know sexual abuse or uh, physical abuse or mental or emotional abuse, one, you have to report it. Uh Report it to the elders, report it to the deacons, report it to somebody other than I mean, if you have to go to outside. I don't care. The church should be the most transparent organization that there is. Like there should be nothing to hide. We have to call out the, the abusers. We have to address it. We have to address it to the church in front of the church. We have to make and, and set up the steps of accountability and say, this is what happened, but this is what we're going to do to fix it. So it never happens to somebody else again when it shouldn't have happened in the first place. And if it means setting someone down for a season, they sit down for a season. If it means completely removing them, completely remove them. Whatever the outcome is, we have to be willing to put the safety and the the physical, mental, emotional, spiritual well-being of, of people ahead of one person just because they have a certain title. That's just my opinion. I mean, hey, you're right on. I mean, we we've got to have accountability. We've got to we've got to get things fixed. Um, but it all goes back to what we talked about earlier, authentic lifestyles, loving people, showing people the real side of Jesus, showing people the real side of you, the good, yeah. the bad, and the indifferent. Letting them know that, hey, even in the rough times, he's still good. Even in the hard times, he's still faithful. Even when you don't feel like you're good enough, he still thinks you're good enough. Mm -hmm. And making it okay to reach out when you need help. Don't feel like you're a burden. Don't feel like you've messed up or you've missed it. Make it Every okay. time somebody messes up in your church, quit calling them in and sitting them down and giving them a 45-minute lecture <laughs> about how they need to change life. Yeah. They already well, know they blew up. They already know they blew up. Yes. Love them. Mm -hmm. Let them know you're here for them. I think what a lot of, of people in the church don't recognize 
is sometimes these acts of sin or, or these slips of sin, I don't want to say it's for attention, but I will say that it is a cry for somebody just to love them. Somebody just to be a shoulder to cry on. Somebody to be an ear to listen. And there's going to be some times where we just need to shut up. Don't listen to respond. But actually listen to hear them. Hear their hurt. Hear their pain. Hear hear their position. Instead of waiting for them to finish talking so we can get go so self-righteous, pharisaical, scriptural on them. So we're just, we just drive them further and further away. And if someone comes with an accusation, treat it like it's legit. Now, I get and I understand that there are false accusations that happen in, in the world and, and in the church. Yeah. But treat it like it's real. Don't just be like, oh, yeah, sure, whatever. Follow up on it. Make right. sure it's legit or make sure it's a false accusation. Don't assume Yeah, I mean, we can say you got to follow. Yeah, you got to follow through. You got to do what you got to do. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the discipleship. You get somebody saved, follow through with the discipleship. Don't just leave them abandoned out in the middle of the road. Like, all right, you got saved. Good job. Yeah, hey, <laughs> you luck. made it. <laughs> Good luck. Now, when it comes I hate to, to say it, but the ultimate goal is not to get somebody saved and send them off to heaven. Yeah, that's not. That's not how it works. Mm-mm. The ultimate it's goal is to make sure believers and followers of Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Salvation's the first step. Yeah. Discipleship is the next. Yeah. And when it comes to like the, the deconstruction movement, like what's your view? What what's your take on it? And here's for people who don't know what it what it is. It, it really kicked off, like really came to a head during the pandemic. Yes. Why did it happen in that time? Because they didn't have access to church. Churches were closing. Churches weren't meeting. And if they were meeting, they were just doing online services. And let's be honest, half of us probably didn't watch the online services. So we took our Bibles and we started reading them. And you know, kind of like I did. We started reading scripture versus this is what my church is practicing. And we're like, there's an issue here. And some even went as far as saying, well, there's an issue within within scripture itself. Like, oh, it contradicts itself. Oh, it's it's not the word of God. This is all a bunch of bull. Like so so there's there's two sides to it. You know, there's that. Well, I no longer am a Christian. I no longer believe God, his word, or anything else. Then there's that side of, well, I still love God, and I still follow after God, but I want nothing to do with this mess. So what are your what's your thoughts? So um, there's good and bad with the deconstruction movement. Um, first off, we know that... There is really not contradiction within the word. It reaffirms itself over and over. Mm -hmm. I I tell people like there's not contradictions. Like like we may say, well, there's contradictions in the Gospels. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm like, no, there's not. That is written from different perspectives. Correct. Me and you can be looking at the same thing, but we're going to tell two different stories, but they're eventually going to meet together and tell one story. Same thing um, with the Gospels. And even the things that you think are contradictory, they're working together for the better plan. Now, let's let's use that for example. You was talking about us saying different things. I could take anything I wanted from any book in the world mm-hmm. and take it from one spot, take something else from the other spot, and make it look like it completely contradicts each other. But if I go back and read the entirety of the book, I find at the end, it all told one story. Yep. That's the same way with the Word of God. Now, with the deconstruction movement, um, in a lot of ways, 
there was good that come from the deconstruction because a lot of people stepped back. And like you said, they looked at the word of God on their own and they started realizing the things that just wasn't adding up. Mm-hmm. Why are we doing things this way when the word of God says we do it this way? And it allowed people to, instead of, I guess, hearing from God through the pastor only, learning to hear from God from themselves. And a lot of them wasn't used to doing that. Right. We had gotten so used to being spoon-fed Christians Mm-hmm. that we showed up on Sunday and whatever the pastor behind the pulpit said was it. Yeah. That's and awesome. it was right and it was perfect and we yeah. left feeling good and we applied everything he said. So all that happened was we had a bunch of manipulated baby spoon-fed Christians. Yep. So now all of a sudden, like you said during the pandemic, this deconstruction movement happens because people aren't in church and they're getting into the word for their own. And all of a sudden they realize, Hmm, there's more to what I've been told. Yeah. Um, but like anything else in the world, we know, we know that the devil is going to do everything he can to oh, misconstrue, yeah. misrepresent and use anything he can to his advantage. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what it is. I can drop four topic names right now, and I guarantee you, you would know immediately what I'm talking about because the church has taken four topics and the devil has used it, turned it, and twisted it, and then now the church is anti against it all. What are they? Well, that's the same thing with the deconstruction movement. Name those it four. Wasn't that the deconstruction movement was bad, but the enemy turned it and manipulated it. And now all of a sudden, if you go talk to most pastors, oh, it was the worst thing that could have happened in the pandemic when it really wasn't. No, it it was the best thing that could happen because all the deconstruction movement did was expose the lies that was in the church. Right. It exposed the lies and the idolatry that was happening within the church. And if you start to expose those things, some pastors' wallets started to get lighter. So it was just called spade to spade. We started, or, or the deconstruction movement started affecting people's paychecks. And that's when it became the issue. The deconstruction movement started affecting the control that some of these leaders had over their, their congregation. And they didn't like it. The deconstruction movement just exposed what the remnant has been saying for years. And out of the deconstruction movement, I think a remnant is rising up. And those are going to be the ones who hit the streets hard with authentic Christianity and the true gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe what the best part of the deconstruction movement was this was people finally experiencing Jesus for themselves. Mm-hmm. It Not wasn't what somebody mind. else had told them. Yep. It wasn't what they had heard. They finally experienced Jesus for themselves. And I was one of them. I was going to say, I I didn't do the deconstruction movement part of it, but this is what I can say. During that same time period, it caused me to dig into the word more on my own, Mm -hmm. and it caused me to reevaluate things in my life that I said, why do I do this? I do this because I'd heard to do it all my life. Mm -hmm. But what I found was there were some things that, like you said, didn't line up with the word. So now I got to go back and I got to readjust it. Yeah. And, you know, like I said before, if done right, it is a beautiful thing. Like it is a very beautiful thing for someone to finally experience God, the love of God, the mercy of God for their self instead of a manufactured 
scheduled out church service where they try to manipulate your emotions to make you think you felt God. But when you feel God for yourself in that moment, you don't want to come back. <laughs> like, I don't want to say I know how Paul felt like, you know, when he got called up to the third heaven. But I was pretty daggum close when I finally experienced Jesus for myself. The beautiful thing about it is when you experience him for yourself, you kind of find purpose. Mm -hmm. The thing that you had been missing for so long, you finally, you start to understand it. You realize you're not alone. You realize there is more meaning. And you find a new reason to push forward and push through the things that are bothering you. Yeah. Um, I guess the person I related to the most in that point in time in my life was the woman with the issue of blood. I finally understood why she had the drive and the passion to yeah. push through the crowd just to get to him. I can just touch a thread. That was that was what I found myself in in those months of my life when I started digging in was a new drive personally. Um, mm -hmm. I understood why she was able to do it because you know what? It, I had a relationship, but man, it just took that relationship to a whole new level. Yeah. And... It's crazy, but if you had, we'll say five things. If you had five things to say to someone who is unchurched, de-churched, deconstructing, de deconstructing, um, just someone who who is searching for God, what what would those five things be? Let me start with saying this. He's worth it. Um, I know the journey is not always going to be easy. I know that the times aren't always going to be fun, but he's worth it. Amen. Continue to push. Continue to fight. And you're worth it. Not only is he worth it, you're worth it. Yeah. Don't do it for anybody else. Do it for you. Um, number two would be find somebody that you can trust, that you can confide in, and allow them to pour into your life. You can't go into this thing as a one-off. It's <laughs> not going to be easy to go in it by yourself. Yeah. You've got to have people around you. Um, even at 40 years old, um, been back in church now for 17 years, been in ministry for 15 years, did youth ministry for years. Now I'm doing young adults pastoring. I still keep people around me that I keep on speed dial because I need people. I need somebody I can trust and I can confide in. And it may change over time. There was people at one moment in my life that I trusted in and I confided in that they're not in my life anymore. But I've got somebody for this season of my life mm -hmm. that God's connected me with that's able to pour into me because it's needed. Find a church. Get involved in your church. Your church needs you just as much as you need your church. You can't do this alone. One of the best quotes I ever heard was from a pastor at a conference I was at several years ago. And he made this comment. He said, get up and go to church. He said, the next time you think you can sit at home and watch TBN or Daystar and feel like you're in church, he said, when you get hungry, I want you to turn on Food Network and see if that fills the cravings of being hungry. 
because yep. you're going to get as much out of watching Food Network as you are watching TV and a day star. I'm not against Christian television. I'm not against Christian TV ministers. They're good, but you need the church. Yeah. You need physical connection. You need somewhere you physically can go and physically be involved in. Don't just show up and sit in a pew. Get actively involved. Greet people. Serve on the usher team. Work in the media department. Sing. Smile. Smile. Do something. Show up. Be involved. Yep. Just because you show up to church and you do nothing else doesn't mean you're involved in church. Yep. Get active within the body. It's good for you. It's good for the church. That's what, three? Yep. Okay. I, I would so add sure. the three. Uh, I would add the three. Make sure it is a healthy church. 100%. It's got to be a Bible-believing church. Yeah. And if your pastor does not encourage you to go back and learn for yourself, go find another one. Go find another one. All right, so number four, trust the process. Trust the process. Like I said, to start all this off, there's going to be good days, there's going to be bad days. There's going to be hard times. There's going to be easy times. Mm-hmm. But no matter what it is, trust the process. Like a the beautiful thing story. about it all is when Jesus ascended, what did he tell the disciples? I'm sending along a helpmate. Yep. I know this is one of the division points in the church is whether or not gifts of the spirit are still irrelevant, but this is what everybody can agree on. Holy Spirit is still relevant. Yeah. He's still useful. The beautiful thing about it is, is through the process, it's not all going to happen at once. You're not going to show up to church, say a salvation prayer, and immediately be made perfect. It's a process. You're going to walk some things out. You're going to learn some things. Trust that Holy Spirit is going to teach you. He's going to guide you. And he's going to comfort you all the way through the process. Be willing to trust the process. Number five. Develop a personal time with you and Jesus. Yes. And I put that at number five. But I should have really put that at number one. Yeah. It was my fifth thing on my list, but it's the most important thing you'll do. Carve out time where it's just you and him, nobody else. Don't rely on everybody else to teach you and expect that that's going to get you through. Because I'm going to be honest with you. As someone who sits in a pastoral role, Pastors are going to fail you. Mm -hmm. We're not perfect. One of my fathers in the ministry, I heard him say it a million times growing up. I'm going to upset you. I'm probably going to hurt you at some point. But if you'll love me, I'm going to continue loving you and we're going to get through it together. Mm Mm-hmm. Why is that so important when I'm talking about carving out time? Because when it all starts crumbling and it all starts caving in, you feel like it's over. You've got to know that you still have relationship and connection to God on your own. It's the most important thing you'll ever do. Make it a point every morning to do devotional. Take five minutes. I know we talk a lot of times in church about prayer, and prayer is a vital thing. Um, I have people in my life that I'll get to talk to them, and they talk about the hours they put into prayer. I have ADHD. I can't focus for that long. 
<laughs> Me too. Preach. <laughs> I can't focus for that long. I, eventually, I'm going to get distracted. Yep. So I'm not going to tell you to develop a one-hour prayer routine. What I'm going to tell you is start with what you're comfortable at, but make it a point to pray. Sprinkle it throughout your day. And don't just make up your prayer life. God, I need this. God, I need this. God, I need you to do this. God, I, God. Give me, give me, give me, give me. relationship with you. Mm -hmm. My prayer life looks more like this conversation we're having right now, Eric. That's how mine it is. It doesn't look like. Yeah, it's not thou art wonderful majesty creator. Thou art wonderful. Mine's like, hey, God, I need help. Most of the time, it's me sitting in my truck saying, hey, it's me again. There's some things going on that only me and you can work through. Mm -hmm. There's been times where I'm like, God, listen, listen, you, you, you're going to have to fix it because I can't. So that would be my five. Then there's those prayers where I don't say a word and I just listen. Right. I'm just like, speak, Lord. I, I don't mean to like interrupt you, but like in, in our prayer life, we have to realize that praying is not just speaking. Sometimes we got to be quiet and listen for their response. Because another big division thing within the church, yes, God still speaks today. He speaks through his word. He speaks through prayer. He speaks through prophets. He, he, God still speaks, but we have to take the time to listen. Yeah. That's it. You know what? Uh, I know we're, we're reaching the end of this thing, but uh, mm -hmm. before we end it, I, I want to encourage you. Um, man, dig into the word, dig, dig into the word, pray, find who he is for yourself, find people you can trust. Um, don't give up on the church. The church isn't perfect. It's not. I, I've been there. I, I've, I've dealt with the church hurt. I've dealt with the church let down. The church isn't perfect, but don't turn away from the church. That was never the intent of God. No. He intended for the church to be a family and to be a body. Amen. Just because one person's hurt you, don't give up on the church. Yeah. I'm I'm right there with you. That's what I'd say to them too. And no, the church isn't perfect because I'm in it. Right. And I'm not perfect. To the as we wrap up, I, I want to give like a little word for the believer. If you are a believer and you see the the issue of of people leaving the body of Christ, um, I want to challenge you at least once a week. Pray for somebody that is far from God. Whether it be a friend, family, uh, a co-worker, or just somebody you don't know. Pray for those who are far from God will come back to God. Um, look for opportunities to, to listen to people uh, about their walk with God. And listen to learn. Uh, share share a meal with with somebody this week with somebody who's far from God. Serve someone who is far from God. In a nutshell, be the hands and feet of Jesus. Go eat with the sinner. Go eat with the tax collector. Go fellowship with this worldly bunch of hoodlums that we are supposed to and we are called to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's my advice for the believer. This has been fun. It has been fun, man. Thank you so much for having me. I, I was a lot more tame than I thought I was going to be. So 
usually I'm like, uh, but yeah, this is Pastor Jeff Mathis. You can catch him at Unity Church in Gadsden, Alabama. You want to tell them where they can find Unity? Yeah, uh, we're on Facebook. You can find us at Unity Church of Gadsden. Um, if you're in the Gadsden or Etowah County area, we are at 302 Goldenrod Avenue in North Gadsden. Um, we do church a little bit different. We do 2.30 p.m. service. You have no excuse. You don't have to get up. You don't have to be up early in the morning. You can sleep in on Sunday morning and still come to church. We do church at 2.30. Um, the whole purpose of unity is, man, we want to bring the body back together. We want to bring not only the church back together, we want to bring the community back together. Uh, we're very diverse. Uh, we're multicultural. We have many denominations that come in. So you are always welcome at Unity. We're not going to turn you away for any reason. And by all means, come as you are. We're not asking you to come in perfect. We're not even going to ask you to join Unity Church. We want you to just join the Unity community. We just want you to come in and worship God, love Jesus, and love one another. So if you're in the Gadsden area, come see us. Man, there is so much of my message that you hit on during this whole thing. Yeah, that's that's Pastor Jeff. Go check out Unity. Um, Pastor Sean, he's a great guy. I've heard him preach because I watch, I watch the Facebook. Um, really, really great guy, really great pastor. Uh, go check him out. Uh, I am Eric Madden. Uh, I'm your host of The Faithful Pursuit. I'm also the pastor of The Forge Church. Now, right now, we are meeting at my house in my garage, so reach out. I'll give you directions. I'll give you all the info that you need. Our mission is to love God, love people, make disciples. That's it. We're, like, we're just a simple church with, with real community, and yeah, we just want to dig in. We want to worship with you. We, we want to cook out with you and eat with you. Like that, That's the kind of church we are. Like We're a laid-back, easygoing church. Just been in my church, so... He can kind of vouch for it. For Jeff, I am Eric Madden. We will see you guys next time. And always remember to faithfully pursue the, the life of, of Christ outside of the four walls. God bless you guys.